Analix 2.3. The master said, leave the people with Zheng, administrative junctions, and keep them orderly with Xing, penal law, and they will evade punishments, but be without a sense of shame. Leave them with De, and keep them orderly through Li, and the people will have a sense of shame, and moreover, will rectify themselves. This is a very important insight that is captured in the Analects about the nature of proper governing. This 2.3 connects us back to 2.1 and also connects us back even further to 1.12 where we have ideas of virtue and ritual propriety <clears throat> as methods or ways to cultivate harmony among the people and change the hearts of the individuals that comprise the multitudes of society. And I say multitudes because I don't like the term masses, I don't like the term the people because it's very reductionary in a sense, there is no such thing as the people because the people are actually comprised of many groups. Just in the same sense, we should not think of ourselves as a or an individual, but rather a person who is at the nexus of many different relationships. So I don't like the term the people, I don't like the term the masses because we all have different situations in life and we all have different, for example, groupings such as classes, by occupation, by income, by perhaps religious belief and so forth. So the multitudes uh, make more sense to me. So there is such a thing as the people, but it would be more accurate to say multitudes. So you can leave the multitudes or the people with two things, zheng uh, and xing, and what those are are basically laws of various sorts, whether we're talking about more specific laws like regulations and junctions, uh, or we're talking about something that's more broad, like statutes, and so forth. Now, this is a very typically modern Western way of governing. You have some problem, you create more laws. People are not behaving the right way, you create some, some kind of incentives. For example, punishments or tax breaks for people to do one sort of thing but not the other. You don't like people smoking? Well, raise the taxes on cigarettes. Uh, you hope that people will have more children? Then you lower their taxes 
if they do have more children. So this is a very common strategy in the modern West. It's also a very common strategy uh, strategy in the classical West, because what we see with Augustus Caesar is that he is concerned that people are not having enough children, that the Roman population is declining in size. And so he begins to use law and punishment in order to get his people, the citizens, to have more children. So if you don't have children, then perhaps you cannot inherit land from your parents and it goes to the state. So Augustus Caesar is using these sorts of methods. However, this is actually not the best strategy or way to use according to Confucius. According to Confucius, one should, whether you are the king or one of the uh, officials, you should leave them with the virtue and you should keep them orderly through Li, ritual and ritual propriety. And what this does is result in very different things. So if you just use law and punishment, then what happens is the people will act in a way to evade the punishment, but they're not going to have a sense of shame. What is a sense of shame? We live in a culture that's so individualistic, so radically individualistic, that we dislike the, even the notion of shame. But the notion of shame is very important. Shame is different from embarrassment, because embarrassment is when you do something wrong and everybody or other people know, and then that causes you embarrassment. So you do something incorrect, you're afraid that people will look down upon you because they know that you've done something incorrect, that's embarrassment. Shame is different. Shame is internal. So let's say you steal some money from uh, a charity. Well, when people find out, you might be embarrassed. But you should feel ashamed even if no nobody finds out because you stole money from a good cause. Now, as a side note, these days, most charities are themselves not uh, honest, but that's uh, a topic for another time. So uh, one commentator on this um, in ancient times sa says <clears throat> that using law and punishment is a superficial way of transforming people because they're just concerned with evading punishments and doing what is practically beneficial for them. In other words, uh, expedient. And so they end up behaving shamelessly. Um, this is a way to understand what is going on. So when you punish people, uh, let's go back to Augustus Caesar. When he punishes people for not having children, 
what ends up happening is that, and this is historically documented, some of them go to court and they say, these are all the children that I didn't want to have, that the um, that Augustus Caesar and the law made me have. In other words, his heart is not transformed. He does not find joy in these children. So it's a pretty terrible situation. And you could apply this to just about anything else. If you give them incentives, if you give them punishments and rewards, they do not learn or develop a sense of intrinsic joy in that activity. They are just simply seeking something else. Uh, there's a story, I think this is actually based off of a sort of experiment, but the difference between extrinsic rewards and intrinsic rewards is something that is recognized in the field of psychology. Um, as another, another side note, most of psych, the field of psychology is actually not useful. And if you only study this as your methods to study wisdom, you're not going to be a very um, virtuous person and people are, are not going to want to really uh, spend time with you. Your relationships will suffer and you're not going to get a deep insight and ultimately you're not going to be very happy in a meaningful and fulfilling way. So, um, but you know, sometimes you do get some interesting insights from psychology. And so there is this distinction between intrinsic rewards and extrinsic rewards. And so there's a story that illustrates this. Um, there's, a, there's a man and he's getting tired of hearing these little kids play in front of his house. It's noisy. So he starts to pay them to play in front of his house. And after some time has passed, maybe a few months, he says, oh, I'm a lot of money. And the children actually stop playing because they have essentially confused uh, their intrinsic enjoyment of playing out there in front of his, um, in front of his house. And now they switch after receiving the money to an extrinsic motivation. And so after that extrinsic motivation dries up, it's no longer there. They don't see the joy in, in playing uh, in front of this person's house. Now, I'm probably leaving something else. I, I think there's something attractive about a, uh, that house, um, and that's why they were playing there. Um, and this is another side note. If you have something attractive about your house, like a pool, you have the obligation to fence it off or take some means to uh, keep children out of it. Um, this is what's called an attractive nuisance in the law. And uh, this makes you liable unless you take some reasonable precautions to keep children out of that, um, you know, attractive danger. Um, it's called the attractive nuisance. You can probably look it up. Okay, so when you use law and punishment, people will just follow incentives. And that's the problem. And so if you live in a society where there are more and more and more of these things, then you're not going to have very good people in that society. And this goes all the way up to even constitutional law. When your constitution is all about incentives, for example, um, if the people don't think, the, the voters don't think you're doing a good job, 
then they'll switch you out or even before your term has um, has finished they might recall you in certain states uh, when you have that kind of situation people are now motivated by motivated by incentives not their love for their country not their love for the multitudes but rather to win that next election to get that fancy title and even in some cases to make money because it's not only that salary that you would get but it's also the book deals and everything else that is related um, that makes it so that you can make a lot of money um, throughout the rest of your life once you get a high enough position so uh, using law and punishments simply creates a set of incentives but people's hearts are not changed and this leads to another problem wherein you have these sorts of perverse incentives where people um, don't actually do exactly the thing that you want um, so it's not only that their hearts are not in the right place but they don't actually do the things that you do want them to do exactly um, one famous example of this is um, some uh, uh, now I, I don't know how historically accurate this is but there's a story at least where the British are back when they are colonizing India and ruling them um, India has um, or had at least uh, a snake problem and the British rulers uh, governors wanted to deal with this snake problem so what they did was they started offering money for each dead snake uh, anybody could bring in well that created a perverse incentive so what ended up happening was that people started um, raising snakes and then killing them and then um, you know showing them to the authorities and getting paid so there are these snake farms basically that started developing and then when the money ran out or when uh, the policymakers decided this policy wasn't working it's not worth the money what do you think happened to all those snakes they were just released so you had even uh, an even worse problem at that point again I don't know exactly how historically accurate this is but at least take it as a metaphor or as a um, a hypothetical example for uh, um, situations where you're providing incentive but people are smart people are clever and so they don't do exactly what you want but they find a way to separate what you want from the reward or punishment that you're doling out so that is something that happens all the time if you live in a society with all these laws you also have the situation where people can't keep track of all these laws and so probably most of us are breaking some kind of regulation or law and we just don't know it because there's so many out there and um, this is this also becomes a political problem because now uh, you have so many laws that you could anybody you don't like you can just kind of look at them and investigate their behavior and then find something to drag them into jail with or find them um, but moreover when there's so many laws people stop paying attention to those laws and people go this is ridiculous who cares I don't care anymore I'm just gonna do what I want 
I can't keep track of it. And in any case, there's these laws. A lot of these are laws are dumb, so they always make exceptions for themselves. So people, even though uh, loud cars are against actually against the law, uh, people still modify their cars to be loud, even though playing blasting music so loudly that your neighbors can hear when their windows are down is against the law. People do that anyway. Uh, people just, um, you know, do all sorts of things. Uh, maybe they start to do some sort of um, relatively mild drugs um, when it's against state law and they just don't care anymore because um, there's so many laws and a lot of them just kind of feel ridiculous after a while and then they, they just simply say, well, who cares? And you can't punish everybody. So they get away with it and they get a taste. They get used to breaking the law or even a taste for breaking the law. And this is how you end up with chaos. You so ironically the more laws you have the closer you come to chaos and the more chaos you have then the tendency of course to pass more laws and it just becomes a uh, um, a self-reinforcing cycle now let's take confucius's direction here you guide them with virtue and we talked about that to some degree in 2.1 briefly and then you keep them in lines by means of li ritual and the people will have a sense of shame and rectify themselves let's start with the effect part of this statement sense of shame in other words they have a conscience they have morality that they believe in and they feel like they should do better they shouldn't do these bad things they should be courteous to their neighbors they should spend time on valuable things and not just get high. They should, um, they should be better persons overall. Okay, and then they will rectify themselves. Rectify means to correct themselves, correct their behavior, correct their hearts, rectify themselves. They will correct themselves morally, spiritually emotionally and psychologically even so this is what produces harmony people you, even though they can get away with it they're doing the right thing anyway because they believe in it that's the society that you want to live in that's the kind of neighborhood certainly you want to live in that's the kind of friends that you want to have you don't want friends because they're hanging out with you because you have money and you're throwing cool parties and certainly you want that for your family members. You don't want your parents to love you because you um, are bringing in money or because you have a hot job, but because they simply just love you. So that intrinsic motivation, to use a psycho psychological term, is really the most important thing here. But how do we get to this point? Two things, leadership through virtue and using ritual okay so let's take that one at a time leadership through virtue we talked a bit with 2.1 if you show that if you if you simply live a live a life of virtue and people see it and you are in a position of power of status people will respond most people are unfortunately petty and we all actually are 
petty from birth. Some are more petty than others, and others are more inclined towards Ren than others, but we all have a lot of growing to do. We have a lot of cultivation to do. We need teachers to set us straight, to correct us, and to give us the right or correct direction. In a sense, government as a whole does act as a teacher to the rest of society. But people are petty. Most people stay petty. And what you see for people is that they like to emulate those who have power, money, and overall status. So this is in fact how fashion starts. You take uh, people who are high status and when they start to act in a certain way, dress in a certain way, talk in a certain way, it becomes fashionable, it becomes trendy, and people start to follow it, male or female. And so if you're the king, you have high status, you have power, you have wealth, people are going to behave like you. And so simply by being a good filial son to your father, people will start to do that. People will associate that kind of behavior with high class behavior. And they'll start to emulate it naturally. And you can see that today, even with celebrities. Um, you have these celebrities and they have money and status and fame, all of which kings also have, of course. They may or may not have power, it depends, but people look at these people and they emulate them, even though they're not very good people, they're not, they're not very virtuous people. They emulate them. So uh, Steve Jobs, for example, is not, he's not really a nice person, but there's a sort of, um, there's a lot of people who try to emulate people like him because he's famous, he is accomplished, uh, he's certainly became wealthy, and he has power at, um, back when he was alive as uh, CEO of Apple. And it's not just him, but, but many others. Um, and so what happens is that people will emulate those in power. So the, of those in power behave virtuously, then people will take after that. And it's very inspiring when somebody acts with virtue in, in general. How much more so if that person has a high position in government? You can see this is also why um, democracies have so much problems, culturally speaking, and why democracies tend to decline really quickly. If you look at, for example, South Korea, um, its culture has really declined very quickly since it started having a democracy. Because in a democracy, uh, you're not really leading with virtue, you're convincing the people to vote for you, and it's easier to convince people to vote for you when you pretend to be like them. So you have these guys who are obviously wealthy, for example, the first George Bush, who was president, he would go around the country giving speeches, wearing jeans and just a jacket, uh, I think like a polyester jacket, not even a leather jacket. Well, this he's dressing in a very working class kind of way, um, but he, he has much more wealth and power than anybody in that class. And so why is he doing this kind of thing? Uh, why do you have these politicians? They have an accent. 
a southern a Texas accent when they're in Texas, or just generally a southern accent when they're in the south, and you know, and that goes away when they're back in north, in the north or in the California. Uh, why are they like this? Because they're flattering you, and they're trying to get you to think, oh, this guy's just like me. He's going to make the decisions like I would if I were president. And so um, that's what works. That's what's effective. And you see this all the time. Um, these guys can afford better food, but you see them, you know, having, you know, showing up to like McDonald's or something, you know, and just to look like the average person. So you can, you know, uh, so that they could be relatable to you. So um, it doesn't really quite work because virtue by, by definition, high virtue, the kind of virtue that can inspire other people, the, the multitudes to be better people, that by definition is not the kind of behavior most of us engage in. And so once you realize that, you realize why democracies tend to fall apart pretty quickly culturally when they're instituted. And this is something that is observed even in the, um, in the first 50 years of American, uh, of, of US history, um, when you have Tocqueville um, writing about you know, democracy in America, uh, and he's going there, he's doing basically sociological work, and he's making some kind of comparisons, what he sees is that there's sort of a lack of higher culture. Um, in, in in America, in the United States of America. And so uh, these are some pretty interesting insights if you ever take a look at his writings um, into culture. If you look at H.L. Mencken, who comes later um, at, at the end of the 1800s or at the beginning of the 1900s, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Uh, he also says some very interesting things about democracy and its relation to culture. Now, I don't, um, I'm not, uh, I haven't read all their works thoroughly, but I don't believe they have made that connection that Confucius here is making, uh, or that I am making um, a connection based off of Confucius's statement, that um, you need to have people in high positions who have virtue and they have, uh, and their power is not based off of you know, whether people vote for them or not. So they're there, they're kings, for example, and they behave virtuously. So they show filial behavior to their own parents. Um, they show loving behavior uh, towards their own children. Um, they model um, being good uh, husbands to their wives, or in the case of the queen, good uh, wives to their husbands. Uh, they take education seriously. They study hard, uh, or they they, they study um, strenuously, and and they are concerned with people, and they're polite and courteous. Um, if they do these things, then the people naturally, naturally take that up. They'll be inspired by this. Um, in terms of inspiration, um, there are sometimes you find. Um, some of these TV series about kings, and if you look at South Korea's um, uh, what what they call dramas, um, like there's sort of these historical dramas, I believe they're called saguks. Um, 
and uh, some of them are act, uh, some of them are in the right spirit. You know, um, they want to be accurate as possible uh, within reason because it's still fiction, and you still need to have cohesive storytelling. On the other hand, there are some that are just completely made up, you know, like even involve time travel. But moreover, um, uh, they're just not historically accurate, um, not just in the details, but the attitudes of people, you know. So you have to be careful. Uh, two, two of them um, are worth mentioning. One is a 2008 series called The Great King Sejong. Sejong is the uh, king who invented the Korean phonetic alphabet. So basically, overnight, um, people could learn how to write their language, their spoken language, and not have to uh, learn Chinese, which is extremely difficult, especially for adults. Um, so that's about him. It's, it's not too accurate. Um, I'd say maybe 70% um, at most uh, in terms of detail. But one thing that I like about this is that you do get a sense of how a king can actually inspire behavior in their subjects um, because King Sejong is one who, he dies relatively early. He dies, um, I believe, uh, when he's 50, uh, or at least in his 50s. He doesn't really uh, live very long. And he has diabetes, but he works very hard for his subjects. Um, and and so he's working on the Korean alphabet, Hangul, and um, he's he has diabetes, he's going blind, uh, which is obviously not helpful, and the stress exacerbates it. Um, but he is really trying hard for his people, whom he loves as his children. And that's, the, uh, of course, one, the proper um, feeling of a king towards his subjects. But kings in general do have a um, generally fatherly attitude towards their subjects. Some kings are much more better um, than others. Just like there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of great fathers out there. there most fathers are, you know, uh, just me, um, quote unquote, mediocre, but there's still a lot of love there. And of course, there's a few t fathers who are awful, terrible, um, really evil. But we shouldn't throw away fatherhood because of those few awful people. Just, and I think that's, um, you know, what um, this is something that you can think about when you're thinking about the question of monarchy. Yes, there are, there have been few, a few kings in history who are tyrannical, and you hear a lot about them, just like we hear a lot about Hitler, but we don't hear much about other German leaders. Um, so, does that mean that all of monarchy is bad and we should just throw it out? Or does it mean that uh, human beings, among human beings, there are always great human beings and really awful human beings, and most of us are just typical human beings? So that's something to consider. Um, if you really want to talk about the nature of monarchy and compare it to how well democracy works, you can go to the, um, the lecture series regarding governing um, but uh, let's go back to 2.3 specifically. So we talked about leadership through virtue and people emulating virtue and being inspired by their king 
and their lords and high-ranking officials like prime minister. Keep them orderly through Lee. Um, what is this about? This, uh, this probably requires a lot of discussion, but Lee does a few things. Um, one, it... Okay, so what is Lee? What is ritual? This is not just a ceremony like a wedding or a funeral or if you're religious, uh, for example, if you're Catholic, you're going to Mass or, um, you know, more generally, you're, you're talking about Sunday, um, if you're Christian. Uh, we're not just talking about that kind of ritual. It's not necessarily religious, but it's also more generally a way of behaving. But let's just think about more standard uh, rituals. You know, like weddings, like um, funerals, like holidays, actually. So, um, and some of this is sort of uh, cultural. So you can think about this more generally as culture. Keep them orderly through culture. So, for example, um, if you're a ruler and you are concerned with uh, people's families, genuinely concerned, not fake concerned like, you know, uh, American Republicans or you know, occasionally you have this Democrat that pretends to care about uh, family, and um, <clears throat> I don't think they really are concerned too much with, with family. But um, overall, we we there's a lot of insincerity. Let me put it that way. And I, I don't want to pick sides here. But, um, and, and by the way, from a Confucian perspective, if you think like a Confucian, if you think like a, a Ru philosopher, uh, neither of these major two sides make much sense uh, to you. So anyways, um, if you're really serious about family, for example, then what you could do is get rid of one, uh, courtroom marriages. Uh, that's probably controversial, but um, and I know some good people that did get a courtroom marriage, but I don't think this is ritual to just you know say a few words and sign sign a certificate in front of a judge. Um, it's not enough ritual, it's not proper, it does not properly and beautifully express the meaning of a marriage. Um, if we're talking about something else like uh, maybe expand the number of holidays, expand the number of holidays um, that are out there and so people can spend more time with their families and not at work. So these are just some examples very quickly, regarding how to make society orderly through Lee, through ritual. Now, what does ritual in general do? Uh, there's two things regarding harmony. One, of course, it makes things beautiful and inspires people to value whatever that is. So if you have a Memorial Day or Veterans Day, people value the people who have served and died um, to protect their country. They start to value that. If you have um, holidays, of course, for like uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving, right? There's a sort of spirit behind each of those and that's what's honored and people are inspired to think about those things. Um, so you're inspiring people towards goodness and beauty. Um, you know, so Thanksgiving, Christmas, gift giving, love, um, spending time with family, okay. What about um, another part of Lee is to prevent temptations, human desires from creating um, chaos or evil. So, for example, 
you do not want to integrate bathrooms, locker rooms, showers, uh, shower rooms. Uh, you don't want to um, have, for example, men pat down women or vice versa. Okay, you don't want to have these things. You don't want to um, have them go through machines that basically can see underneath their clothing. All right, that is something that does happen. And uh, if you go flying, that's uh, something that routinely happens. That is not Lee. Okay, that is not Lee. And that goes against Lee. A couple things happen here. One, people, you are demeaning people. And that does, that, they're just not going to experience that, uh, that there and then just put it away. They're going to start behaving badly in other parts of their lives. They're not going to treat their body as sacred. Okay, this, this means more promiscuity. This means more rude behavior between neighbors and friends. Um, this sort of thing is really awful. It, it's, it's evil. I'll just say it. it's evil, it's perverse. And people who um, allow this to happen under their reign, under their administration, should be extremely ashamed about themselves. And people whose idea it was are perverse. And and um, this is not acceptable. You can, and here's another thing. You can't run away from death forever. It's going to happen. And so you might as well live beautifully while you are alive, even though that might be a little shorter than you expect. So it's not worth destroying your spiritual dignity because your body is sacred. Okay. Now let's go back to these bathrooms and, and so forth. Or another example of this is male doctors checking up on female female patients in female parts. Um, I don't think it's okay that you have these male OBGYNs. I don't. And in fact, what's so interesting about this is that we have all these female doctors today, and they uh, are well trained, well educated, very smart. But we don't have women's only hospitals, and we don't have male only hospitals. Back in the Joseon dynasty, at the beginning, you had kings um, like Sejong and uh, his father Taejong, and they're making all of these cultural changes. And one of them is that, uh, you know, um, in Confucian thought, the the wife usually stays at home and takes care of the home. She's a leader of the of the domestic sphere domestic sphere right so it's not too unlike maybe uh, maybe there's some similarity with the Victorian um, sense of gender roles but what's interesting is even during that time they have a program to educate women to become doctors and have official rank and salary fairly high rank in fact official rank and they are there to be doctors physicians to women only that's great and that's dignified and that preserves the sacredness between husband and wife because you don't have a man whom the woman is not married to looking at all these special parts of her body so that's how it should be that's virtual propriety now why why can't you just have a male in the female locker room why is it that you just can't have a doctor who's supposed to be professional looking at these parts because there's that temptation. There's that temptation to look 
inappropriately, to feel inappropriately, to think back at what you saw inappropriately. And that's violating. And so we have ritual propriety as a barrier against temptation. Number three, benefit number three, ritual propriety and ritual helps shape a person to have the correct feelings. Shape the person to have correct feelings. So for example, most people do not naturally feel respectful of their parents. You have to learn it. They have to do this through saying um, certain words like father, like mother, and not just, hey, dad. Okay. Um, or, hey, mom. So some of that is done through language. That's also part of Lee, ritual propriety. Some of that is done through action. So every year, um, you know, I do, um, you know, I do bow to my parents and wish them blessings for the new year and good health. Okay. These things correct a person's unruly heart and, and spirit. It corrects them. It focuses, focuses the feeling towards the correct direction. So it transforms people. When you give gifts, when you travel somewhere, and I recently did, I you know, traveled to visit a friend, a long time, time friend, I brought gifts. And the bringing of gifts is part of Lee. And it's good because it strengthens the relationship. Now you can say, oh, you should, a true friendship doesn't need gifts. That's true, but your heart is not as, as easy and good as you think it is. There's a lot of things that it wants to go into various different directions. It wants to forget about your old friends when you're busy. It wants to forget about promises when they're hard to keep. When you have children, and the wife, it wants to forget about your parents. So your heart is not, is not some, uh, a thing that easily follows E, righteousness. And Ren is something you have to build up. You have to, you have to transform yourself into it. It's not something you naturally have and you just discover one day, like you're digging for gold. That's not how it works. It's like that, uh, you know, jade cut and ground or bone carved and polished. You have that substance, but it needs to be transformed. You need to work on it. It's like wood being turned into a wheel or crooked wood that is being turned into a, something straight. You need to work on it. So even though you're still wood or you're still human, just like the wood is still wood, you need to shape yourself up into something that is valuable. That's something that is good. So Lee is extremely important. It is of the highest, um, dim it is of the highest order, you can say. It is of the highest, uh, the greatest tool for transforming individuals, for transforming families, for transforming society. Related to Lee are things like music, and music is actually actually part of many ceremonies. Um, weddings, obviously, festivals, music is part of that. And so you need proper music as well. And so music is similar to, the, to this. If you keep listening to certain music, 
and we'll talk about this later, if you keep listening to certain music, you will become a different kind of person. That's why I tell my students, do not listen to bad music. And certain kinds of music, we'll talk about that later, um, because of how it works, is almost always bad. But you have to be very careful about the kind of music you listen to, because over time it will change your character, just like ritual. So these are things to be talked about into more detail later on. But here in 2.3, you can understand what's wrong with today's society. Today's society is full of laws, incentives, rewards, and punishments. It's not, and Confucius is not saying that those things are bad. You can have those and you need some of those. You do need some of those. But if that's all you have and you have just more and more laws every year, you're actually going to create perversity and chaos. On the other hand, if you have some laws that are necessary, but what you're really working on is using the virtue of your leaders and you're using ritual and ritual propriety, then you will inspire your people to be good. They will have a sense of shame. They'll have a stronger sense of right and wrong. And they will change themselves for the better spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and behaviorally.